1: Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Fishology, where we go in an analytical, in-depth perspective on your Miami Marlins. I am always your host, host Daniel, and I'm joined always by my colleagues, Eli Sussman, Louis Adeo Weiss. And we are glad to have here probably our biggest guest, not just in Fishology, but entire Fish Drive, senior writer of MLB Pipeline, Mr. Jim Callis. It's an honor to even have you here.
2: <laughs> well, thanks for inviting me. You guys got to get better guests. If I'm the, uh, <laughs> if I'm the peak, you guys got to work on your guests, I guess. But no, it's uh, always like talking prospects. And, you know, I mean, I've obviously been doing this for a long time. And I always feel like I don't feel like you guys are going to grill me. But I always do believe that if you're going to rank players, you should be willing to explain why you rank player A ahead of player B or why this guy is better than that guy um so i'm always happy to talk about this stuff so it's uh glad to be here with you guys
1: yeah it's great to have you off your your busy schedule with pipelines being released seemingly um every day but again we're welcome to have you here to talk about the marlins and then probably the first question that most of us have here is just maybe an in-depth view on the marlins and maybe what you see the strength of this farm system as for the fish
2: yeah you know i mean we had there, I don't have the rankings in front of me. We haven't done our new rankings yet, but a couple of years ago we had them as one of the top farm systems in the game, uh, and they've graduated so many of those guys to the big leagues. So, like the the top thirty, I think looks radically different than it did a couple of years ago. There's probably been more turnover with their list than most, just because of all the guys who, you know, no longer count as prospects. You know, I guess the strength you have to say is pitching. Um, you know, the best prospect, I think. I don't think anybody disagrees that Yuri Perez is their best prospect and one of the best prospects in baseball. And, you know, you've got, you know, obviously a lot of their better pitching prospects are hurt, but, you know, Max Meyer should be able to come back from Tommy John surgery. Jake Eater should be back this year from Tommy John surgery. You know, Dax Fulton had Tommy John surgery in high school. And I think he's a guy who could like take a step forward this year. He just seems like he keeps getting better and better, more, more pro experience they got guys like Jacob Miller and Carson Milbrand out of last year's draft. And then I, I honestly don't know what to tell you about Sixto Sanchez, like what to expect from him. It seems like it's been forever since he's really done much on the mound, but he was so good when we saw him in 2020. So he's kind of the biggest wild card. But I, I'd, say, I'd say their pitching is probably the strength of the system.
3: Right. And you put it in a very generous way about being a <laughs> lot of turnover on this list in recent years. I, I think it is fair to say that – over the last, compared to where it was over the last few years, that this farm system is probably weaker overall in terms of overall talent than it was just since they've completed their latest string of rebuilding trades. Is that fair to say that this is yeah. one of the low points that they've been at recently?
2: Yeah. I mean, again, we haven't we haven't ranked them, so I can't tell you. Hey, the Marlins rank 18th or 23rd. You know, we're we're gonna do our farm system rankings. I think after the World Baseball Classic. But I'm just looking back at, at our our top twenty, our top thirty from 2021. You know, when they're coming off the playoff appearance in, in the shortened year, and <laughs> Sixto Sanchez was number one, and he's obviously been hurt. JJ Bleday disappointed is gone. Max Myers still eligible and still ranks high, but is hurt. You have Jess Chisholm graduated. Edward Cabrera graduated. Leyland Diaz graduated. I can't, I've lost track of which organization he's with because he's been. DFA'd so many times this offseason. Trevor Rogers graduated. Jesus Chinch has graduated. Braxton Garrett graduated. Jose Devers graduated. You have to go all the way down to Dax Fulton to find another guy who hasn't even graduated off the list from two years ago. And then you could go on. Nick Neidert, Peyton Burdick, Monte Harrison, Cameron Meisner has been traded. Connor Scott's been traded. Kyle Nicholas has been traded. Jose Salas has been traded. Gerard Canasio graduated. I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but like I think two thirds of the guys, almost from our 2021 list, aren't even eligible for the Marlins list anymore because either they're big leaguers or they're no longer in the organization. Um, but but in terms of you know the the system as a whole, yeah, I, I think it is weaker um, than it has been in a little while because it was kind of on the rise when they fully committed to rebuilding. I didn't love a lot of their trades to be honest with you when they were they're trading you know everybody they had. But they did bring in some interesting players. Their international program was doing well. They had some draft picks so there was a lot of hope for. I still, I still understand what happened to J.J. Boudet. Like, I, I, I thought for sure that guy would hit. And, and I, now I'm not really sure he ever will hit. But, um, but yeah, it's, it, 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 as I wrote kind of my introduction to our, our, our rankings, two years ago, I mean, I know it was a shortened season, but they're coming off a surprise playoff berth. They have this deep farm system. There's a lot of optimism. And two years later, they finished fourth two years in a row, lost a bunch of games, and the farm system's a lot thinner, and they've got a lot of holes to fill. So, yeah, they they have some work to do.
0: Speaking of um, the international market, Jim, I, you know, I read Ken Rosenthal's piece this morning for The Athletic talking about how it's kind of been a while since they've done well as far as position players go on the market. Obviously, we've seen kind of like strides with the likes of um, – Soriano in the minors, now more of a converted reliever. But position player-wise, it's really been since about Marcelo Zuna that they've had success with uh, international position players. Do you think the hiring of Ozzo Campo is, you know, somebody who obviously had success in Houston, um, signing the likes of Christian Javier, Luis Garcia, and Fran Valdez, do you think that may be a turning point for their fortunes as far as, like, having a guy who knows the international scouting side kind of knows it? you know, the way that system kind of works. And, you know, I think maybe that'll help them maybe hit on somebody on the position player side, you know, something that's been very much a weakness for them, even at the big league level, going back now for, I would say post Stanton and Real Muto. I know
2: they have a lot of expectations for, for Cape. Capay. Um, you know, there's some people who think he might be the best position player in the system. Um, you know, they had a really interesting DSL contingent and, and, look, you can always sell hope on the on the super low-level prospects. But, you know, last year with outfielders Jose Gerardo and Anthony Peguero and infielder Marco Vargas, it was a pretty interesting DSL contingent. So so that those fortunes might be changing anyway. But, yeah, I think getting Ocampo, when you look at what he's done in Houston, you know, it's funny. When I think of Houston, I think of all the pitchers they signed. It seems like every year they bring up another guy in the big leagues who – they signed when he was like 19 years old and they signed him for $25,000. And then the guy finishes third in the rookie of the year voting. And they just have an endless supply of those guys. But yeah, I mean, his track record obviously has been very, very good. And you, you would think that would be, you know, th- th- there's no reason to think that would change with the Marlins. Like I said, it will be kind of interesting to see how the, the, the super young DSL contingent that they had that was, you know, all, mostly guys signed in 2022 performs as they come up the ladder.
1: Yeah, and with that, we've seen how the division is rivaling in terms of prospects. You see the Braves guys, kind of like the Marlins, um, using them and graduating. And then you have the Nationals who traded Soto and got just a myriad of prospects. How do you think this long term affects the Marlins competing with the division prospect wise?
2: Well, prospect wise, you know, maybe they're not in as bad shape as it it might appear. I mean, you know, the, the Nationals and Mets. You know, have like, I think kind of the strongest, you know, contingent of current top 100 prospects, but neither one of those get teams is especially deep. The Braves are really thinned out. No, I mean, no, I don't think anybody in Atlanta is complaining because they won the World Series two years ago. And Philadelphia, it's kind of the same thing. I mean, they've got Andrew Painter and Mick Abel and a couple other guys, but, but nothing, they're, they're really, I don't think any of the farm systems in the NL East are really particularly deep right now. So, um, you know, some good drafts, some good international crops. You know, I, I don't know if they'll continue to make further trades. You know, could, could help. You know, you, you could see a scenario where maybe a year or two from now, the Marlins have the best farm system in the division. I mean, I, I think the Nationals would be the favorite set right now. Um, you know, the Nationals have the number two pick in this year's draft, so they'll, they'll get another guy right off the top of the draft too. But even though the, the Marlins aren't as strong as they have been, the NL East – Again, we haven't lined up the teams. I so said the NL East might have about the thinnest group of farm systems in baseball, so they're not at a at a huge disadvantage as they might be, you know, if you were in a division, say, with you know the Dodgers or you know the Orioles or or a team you know teams that had really good farm systems.
3: Well, we're with yeah. Jim Callis of MLB Pipeline here and I think it's time to scrutinize the rankings themselves. Okay. As you, as you alluded to already, it's essentially a consensus that Yuri is the number 1 guy here. I was fascinated about your process in terms of coming up with Jacob Barry at number 2 because like looking around the industry, there's probably four different directions that you could go potentially for a number 2 prospect whether it's Jacob Barry or Max Meyer or um Dax Bolton or Jake Eater and from reading the rankings it seems like he came down to Barry and Meyer because both of them with 55 overall grades on them I'm just fascinated in the process between trying to compare Meyer uh someone who's made his major league debut and is missing a full year with Tommy John versus a a newly drafted player who has only played at the low a level so far who has a kind of unusual skill set who's a switch hitter they, they couldn't be much different in terms of overall players so i'm just fascinated in the process of how you split hairs between them in this case yeah
2: well and i think splitting hairs is the best way to put it. i mean when you when you line up these lists and and look i, I do obsess like over hey should sean reynolds or josh simpson be 24 and 25 or reverse like i i do actually put a lot of fun to it but at the same time and, and i'm not saying you guys are like this but we get a lot of fans who are just like outraged at one guy's ahead of another it's like They're really kind of on tiers, and we kind of use the overall grades to show tiers. And you know, I think you know within a tier, you could go in different orders. Now, you know, I have a hard time putting Jake Eater at number two. I mean, Jake Eater was really, really good in 2021, but he was really inconsistent at Vanderbilt. He's come back from Tommy John surgery. We haven't seen him in a game, so that one would be a tough sell. I think you could argue any of the other guys like. I do have Dax Fulton as an overall 50 on our on our grading system. <laughs> we can't make we can't get more precise than, than 50 and 55s. But um, uh, like Dax Fulton would be like a 52 and a half. Like I could see Dax Fulton making the jump to the top 100 this year and being a 55. But yeah, I mean, it's funny. Like I think we're probably higher. I know on our top 100. Like I don't know if Jacob Berry made anybody else's top 100. He made ours. Like and I. I am probably the high man on Jacob Berry in the, you know, I guess, you know, prospect ranking industrial complex. I just think this is a guy who hits for average, hits for power, draws walks. I know the data on his exit velocities was not thrilling and and other outlets don't have him ranked as high. I just think this guy's going to hit. And, you know, maybe it winds up being average power instead of plus power. In the end if if you know he doesn't you know start hitting the ball harder i think he's really gonna hit i think he's gonna get on base you know i don't think the defense is really gonna be a big driver with jacob berry and, and to me if max meyer were healthy i take max meyer over jacob berry i do think you know you feel pretty good about guys coming back from tommy john surgery but it's not a given
0: try to get on three two and max meyer has his first major league strikeout Yeah, get that ball, too. Toss that one out of the game. There's the slider.
2: Just perfect location. And, you know, by the time we see Max Meyer pitching again, he's going to be 25 years old without a lot of experience, you know, at the big league level. So, I mean, that was – I don't know. that that, we have him pretty close in the top 100. Barry's 61, Meyer's 67. So we are splitting hairs. But I would take the healthy guy I really think is going to hit over – I really like Max Meyer, but he's injured. So that one's easy to me. And, like, I could see see a scenario where, you know, Dax Fulton, like his velocity was up toward the end of last year, and if he builds on that and let's say it becomes a plus fastball and he's got the really good curveball and he added a slider at the end of last year and maybe the control gets a little bit better, I could see, you know, we could be talking about Dax Fulton being the number one prospect in the system Assuming Yuri Perez graduates because he gets to Miami at some point in 2023,
0: you talked briefly about his defense, Jim. Um, can you espouse a little bit more on that? Because when I look at him, you know, we saw him in person immediately after he signed, and the physicality kind of gave me very Nick Castellanos vibes as far as the kind of player that he is. And I, you know, when I watched your preview you did on the um, Marlins farm system, where you refer to Barry as the Uh, I think you noted as one of the better college hitters as far as complete profiles go in the draft. And I believe his on-base percentage was slightly over 340 when he got into uh, affiliated ball. But that being said, defensively, you know, given Miami kind of already has right now like a third-base conundrum with Segura going to be there, uh, expected to be there for at least the next season, and you have the likes of Groshans and, you know, another prospect on the Marlins Top 30, Xavier Edwards, likely to see time there once they uh, get extended big league time. Do you, when do you think the organization would kind of recognize the full inability of his defense and maybe try the experiment of him, say maybe playing a little corner outfield or DHing or playing some first base?
2: Yeah, well, I think, I think there's two things there. One, I don't feel like any of those guys you mentioned in the big league are really impediments. Yeah, you know, Segura, I think he's more of a, a stopgap than a long-term solution I'm not sure third base, he really fits the profile what you want offensively. Your Groshans, you know, of all their prospects, when you factor in defense, maybe has the best chance to stick at third, but he's got to hit for some power at some point too. You can not have your third baseman hitting 10 or 12 homers a year. And Xavier Edwards, he does not profile at third base. They can play him at third base. He's got a below average arm. He's got no power. That would be not good. <laughs> now that said, I don't think Jacob Berry is a great third baseman by any means. I mean, we have him ranked as a 40. He's, you know, you, uh, Nick Castellanos' comparison is, an, is a pretty good one. I mean, he's kind of, you know, stocky and thick. His arm's probably average, really, at best. Um, I will say, I'm not saying Jacob is going to be a big league third baseman by any means. I will say, I do think it makes sense to run him out there for a while and see what he can do there. I do think you can through sheer hard work, become a adequate third baseman. A lot of guys can't like I remember and this is gonna date me, but when I started, Robin Ventura was a you know, first round pick and you know, still might be the best college, pure college hitter in all the years I've covered college baseball. And he was terrible at third base. And nobody thought he like well, I shouldn't say no but very few people thought he played third base, he had any chance to really play third base in the big leagues. He wasn't athletic. Well honestly a lot of the same stuff you hear about Jacob Berry. And Robin Matura worked and worked and worked and made himself. He eventually won a gold glove at third base. I'm not saying Jacob Barry's going to win a gold glove at third base. I'm not saying he's going to be a third baseman. I do like the fact that anytime anybody asks Jacob Berry about it, like, look, I mean, Jacob Berry got drafted where he did six overall because the bat's so good. At the same time, anytime he gets asked about his defense, Jacob Barry's like, I'm going to play third base. Like, I'm going to show everybody they're wrong. I'm going to play third base. So he's going to work out. So all that said, I don't think the, the, the Marlins – have another obvious third baseman of the long term future in the system. And Barry's barely played any pro ball. So I would let him play third base this year, see how it looks, see if it makes any progress. It, like, if I had to guess, it probably won't work out to where he's going to be a third baseman in Miami down the road. Um, but I think the bat's good enough that could profile it first. I think you know, he doesn't run real great. You know, he could play. You probably want him in left because of the range. His arm's okay. But yeah, I, my, my guess is. He'll play a lot of third base, and if it gets to the point where they think it's not going to work, then they'll move him. But I, I, I would—I'd be surprised. I bet he spends most of this year at third base, so they could figure out exactly what his chances are there. Because again, it's not like you have, you know, Hall of Fame. You know, it's not like Nolan Arenado is at third base in the big leagues; and he's not going anywhere. Like if Jacob, Berry, you know, they, they, they need a third baseman, and Jacob Barry might be that guy. He might not, but let's let's see what he can do if that makes sense. I'm not even trying to sound defensive. I just, I just think it's one of those things where you always try a guy, I guess when he begins his pro career, at the position that he – or I guess the most difficult position he has any chance of playing. And right now for Jacob Berry, that's third base. A year from now, it might be left field or first base. Yeah, and I
1: wanted to go ahead and talk about someone else in the infield on the Marlins um, and who was, I believe, one of their highly drafted players, um, or at least was. Uh, and Khalil Watson and him going from maybe on the top of the prospect list, maybe once when he was drafted to now falling to 13th to just, how have you seen the decline of, of Watson early in his professional career? And do you see him rising to what his potential could be as a player?
2: <laughs> I don't I, mean, I just chuckle. Cause like, if I had the answer to that, I think I'd be employed by the Marlins. <laughs> um, uh, you know, look, I, I don't know what to make of him to be honest with you. The physical ability is still the physical ability that made him a first round pick. And I don't second guess the decision to take him there at 16. I think it's easier to second guess it now. Um, there were signability questions. There were some makeup concerns, but I mean, this is a guy who's you know, in the run to go number one over all the pirates on a potential you know, discount deal. It was a legitimate you know, top five discussion As a prospect. And, I mean, if you look at him from a tool standpoint, uh, you know, he's still got the quick swing. He's still got, you know, kind of sneaky strength, solid raw power, well above average speed, strong arm, good actions to shortstop. But, like, two questions, and I don't know the answer to these. We'll guess get more of a – more evidence one way or another this year is can he – control his swing decisions and can he control his emotions, I guess is the best way to put it. I mean, he swings at everything. Um, He struck out 35% of the time in single A last year. I mean, that obviously has got to change or he's not going to be able to hit. And he just plays kind of out of control with his emotions. I mean, he got demoted for a month for making a threatening gesture toward an umpire. He... You know, I don't think anybody thinks he's necessarily a bad kid. He just cannot control his emotions, whether it's directed at himself, umpires, opponents, teammates, and you can't play like that. (laughs) Like, it's hard enough to play like that for a week straight, let alone 162 games. So, you know, I mean, shoot, I mean, we could talk, I mean, there's a guy, I mean, from a talent standpoint, if he gets everything, like if he makes the adjustments he needs to make, he can be number one on this list a year from now. If he does what he did last year, I don't think we wouldn't rank him at all, but maybe he's down at, like, number 30 next year. Um, it, he's about as volatile a prospect as I think there is anywhere in baseball, unfortunately, for the Marlins. Like, ceiling's still ceiling. Um, you know, Maybe you tone down your expectations for the hitting ability a little bit because he struck out so much last year. although. You know, he, I'm not saying you're going to turn him into a batting champ, but he—I mean, you can't just flip a switch. But at the same time, his swing decisions were so bad so many times last year that they can get better. Um, but yeah, he's he's hard to figure out. Um, who knows? I mean, I, I mean, literally, I—I I, I don't know if people are seeing. That. I'm literally shrugging my shoulders, and um, I, I don't think anybody knows the answer to that question. And then, like, I mean, for ranking him, like, like it was just like, okay, where do I rank this guy? Like, I mean, he's got a high – like, th- there's no question in my mind, he's got a higher ceiling than Xavier Edwards. I mean, outside of putting the bat on the ball, which, yes, that's a very important skill, he just kills Xavier Edwards from a tool stand. Well, he's faster than Xavier Edwards now, too. He's got a lot more power. He's got a lot better arm. He can actually play on the left side of the infield. Um, but I put him behind Xavier Edwards. Um yeah, you know, Sixto Sanchez, like I said, hasn't pitched in forever, and I have him behind Sixto Sanchez. Like you know, Jordan Groshans hit what was it, three home runs last year, and I am behind you know, and Jordan Groshans is the third baseman, and I have him behind Jordan Groshans. So it's just it's he he was about as hard a guy as there is to rank. I I just don't know what you're supposed to do with it.
3: Yeah, you touched on it perfectly right there, Jim, about the hardest guys to rank on this list. Khalil, 6-0, uh, I imagine, because of yeah. what he was and now what he is right now. Is there anybody else in that same vein that you had a really difficult time placing that you wouldn't be surprised by midseason if they're much higher or much lower than they are at the moment?
2: Um, Not – I mean, those two are by far the hardest. I mean, 6-0's pitch grades are – pretty similar to Yuri Perez's, you know, and Yuri Perez can make a case for, you know, being the argument with Andrew Painter and, and, uh, Grayson Rodriguez as being the best pitching prospect in baseball. Um, no, I mean, I I think those two, (laughs) those two were just the hardest for the, the Marlins. They're the hardest of just about anybody. I mean, I, I know probably the guy who, maybe I would disagree with the organization the most on is Cody Morissette, who I feel like the organization thinks is going to break through and they would rank him higher. And I mean, I put him behind three guys who were in the DSL last year. You know, I can see, I could see, I I know the, the Marlins like him. I just, for a guy who's supposed to be able to hit, he just really hasn't hit a whole lot in the last couple of years. So, I'm kind of reserving judgment on Cody Morissette set a little bit. Um, he, he, I mean, he wasn't hard. Like I kind of put him, I, I, I kind of like, my, my, you can, you can get caught up in like, okay, she could, you know, Cody Morse set the 20 versus 18 versus 23. But most of the guys, it's like, okay, he kind of goes in this, in this range. And it's just, you know, you know what your personal preference is. Um, not like Khalil Watson and, and to Sanchez, where just, like, the difference between their ceiling and their floor is so immense. It could be, you know, th- there's any, you know, wide variety of outcomes. I mean, you know, it comes down to the end, you know, the list. You know, you, it's always like, okay, who do I want to get on? Who do I want to get off? I mean, the last couple guys who didn't make the list were pitchers like Zach McCambly and Brian Hoeing and MD Johnson and maybe Javier Sanoa. Would be the next position player, although, you know, if I had one on there. But again, you know, you could always talk those guys around. Like I, like, I always like to say, you know, the difference between like the 26th prospect and the 35th prospect is minimal, but five of those guys make the list and five don't, and you just don't see the five who don't. So that, I'd say I didn't really have any, like again, I can sit there and get caught in the weeds, like, okay, my relievers, how do I stack up Nick Enright versus Josh Simpson? versus Sean Reynolds versus George Soriano, and you can bat those around your head, you know, forever if you want and I shift them around. But I'd say for the most part, you know, like Joe Mack versus Judy Cape, you know, who do I want ahead of who? You know, you you can debate those kinds of things a little bit. Um, but but I wouldn't say I wouldn't say there's anybody else where I was just like, oh my gosh, it's all over the place on this guy.
0: You talk a little bit about you briefly mentioned Mack there. What is it about Mac that kind of merits him being so high beyond the fact that obviously, you know, you know, from a traditional metric standpoint, as far as batting average goes, he's, you know, he's on the lower end, but it's the plate discipline and, you know, what other, what else about him do you kind of see that, you know, possibly it kind of just like makes him a guy that we really should be paying attention to in the coming years?
1: Swinging the line drive to left center field, back goes Black. He's at the track. It's gone over the fence. Goes Joe Mac after going 0 for 3. Mesa hadn't scored a run since the
2: first inning. Matt gets him on the board in the eighth inning. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think he's an elite catching prospect, but I do think he has a chance to be a everyday catcher in the big leagues. I'd kind of throw out what he did this year in Pro Bowl because he had a hamstring injury that was pretty severe. And, you know, I think he was trying to make up for some lost time and, and he was less experienced. Same thing, like in the Fall League, he didn't play great in the Fall League, but he's one of the youngest guys there. He's one of the most inexperienced players there. Um, you know, I, I think the biggest thing he needs to do is probably you know cut down on the strikeouts but he's got bad speed he's got potential for 20 home run power he's got pitch recognition um skills i I think it's just kind of learning pro pitching like he i think he can recognize pitches and he works deep counts but sometimes he kind of gets trapped in deep counts and then winds up leading to strikeouts um he's got a strong arm he's he's athletic he's got to improve his receiving i mean you know, I, I don't really see him as any different. I guess you know the, the, he only had you know he hit two thirty one this year, but again he was he was hurt for most of the year. The way he performed last year, it was such a small sample size. It didn't really change the way I think of him. I, I look at him the same way I did coming out of the draft. I mean, here's a guy who has a chance to be, uh, you, know, you know, maybe he could hit you know two sixty with twenty homers and be a solid defender behind the plate. That, that that's a pretty good player. You know, he's now look he's a few years away from getting to that point, but. Um, you know, I still think that ceiling is still there.
1: Yeah, and one of the, I would say, the faller, fallers and, and risers that I saw really that stood out to me um, was Jose Gerardo coming unranked to 17th on your list on Pipeline. Just, uh, it's the 80-grade arm. You mentioned the 102 mile power throw that he has over there in Dominican Republic as an amateur. Just what did you see from him to make that such of a significant jump? to go unranked to already almost reaching the top 15?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple things at play there. One, I mean, like I said, I don't think the system's super deep. Um, I don't usually put, you know, guys in the DSL who weren't, you know, seven-figure signings that high on a list that early in their careers, but it just got to the point where it's like, okay, I've kind of run out of guys who look like they could be starting pitchers, or and there aren't really that many other guys who look like they could be everyday players or obvious everyday players. So I I went with that DSL contingent of Gerardo and Piguero and Vargas all back to back to back. Um, You know, again, I mean, the difference between his ceiling and, you know, where he is now is still pretty huge because he just started playing. But I mean, guy hit nine home runs in his first full month in the DSL, um, finished third in the league with 11 homers. Um, He's got big power. You know, you noted, you know, that I noted that he had a 102 mile an hour throw from the outfield when he was an amateur. He's got a huge arm. Um, solid runner, um, you know he's really aggressive hitter. He struck out 30% of the time in the DSL. Um, he looks to pull and kind of launch everything he sees. So um, <laughs> that approach is probably not going to work all the way up to the big leagues. He's going to have to make some adjustments, but there are some tools there. So I kind of went at that point. Of the list is like, you know what? I'm going to go for ceiling, even if there's more risk involved, and that's why I went with Gerardo at 17. Hey, I'll be honest, I, I didn't really know about him this time last year. They just signed him. It was $180,000 signing. So he wasn't a big time guy. If you had asked me in, you know, end of February 2022, you know, who's Jose Gerardo, I would have shrugged and said, I don't know who that is. So um, <laughs> that's why he didn't rank on the list last year. Um, he really hadn't done anything. He wasn't a big time guy, but he, he impressed with his power down the DSL.
3: Jim, we were absolutely delighted to see Paul McIntosh squeeze onto the top 30. traps has been extremely high on him since like the moment he stepped into pro ball, an undrafted free agent. But as soon as like he started playing the games, his batted ball quality just jumped out at me. And then all of last season, he was one of their better hitters at any position, period. And he actually did it while doing a whole lot of catcher. But I imagine the fact that he is as close to the bottom as he is um reflects that you don't necessarily see him sticking at catcher moving forward.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, Paul McIntosh is an organization favorite. And like I had, like I said, that kind of that the 26 to 35 range. I was shuffling guys around and I I had him off and then there's enough support like you should like he's he's an organization favorite for sure. He does some things that are really interesting and then he has some glaring holes in his game. Like he hits the ball as hard and he works counts as well as most players in the system. I mean, it's power over hit, but he does draw walks. He doesn't strike out a ton. That's all good. Now, that said, he's already 25. You know, he wasn't really even young for A last year, and he hit 258. so it's not like he's a high average hitter. And just I think the biggest question is where do you put him? I mean, he's surprisingly quick um, with, like, a 50% – Uh 50%. 50. We gave him a 50 grade on speed. He's surprisingly quick down the line, but it's 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 a below average arm, it's a below average receiver, he doesn't block balls well. I don't think there's any chance he's really a cat. Like he's more an emergency third catcher. Like you like you can't even really call him a backup catcher. He'd be like if he made your team as a first base i mean he runs okay i guess you could run him around a left field a little bit like if you made your team as like a first base left field dh type who you could catch like in an emergency situation that's probably what he is as a catcher if he was like a fringy guy and you're like oh he could be an offensive minded backup he could rank higher but like it's Everybody loves him. I mean, I haven't talked to anybody in the Marlins. He just doesn't love him as, you know, just as a personality. And he'll probably get to the big leagues, but he's really, really going to have to hit to carve out a role in the big leagues because I just don't think he has a position really.
3: Yeah,
1: and going from um, Paul McIntosh, um, a player that I personally really like and I think his tools are are just out of the water is Nassim Nunez. Uh, might def- def- not have the power, but it's just his run, his fielding, his arm. We saw him make a defensive play, uh, I believe, in spring training and just a couple days ago. Just what makes him – just where you have him ranked um, 21st, is it just mainly his offensive skills that push him down that
2: low on the list? Yeah, I mean, he might be about the most extreme player on any top 30 because, you know, on the twenty eighty scouting scale where 50s average, we gave him seventy run, sixty-five arm, seventy field. I mean he could probably contend for gold gloves, shortstop, maybe even this season. I mean gold gloves short contend for gold gloves at shortstop this season. He can really run <laughs> I you can't but like so so the defense and the running, that's great. You love all that part of it. He was third in the minors last year with seventy steals. He just has not shown any impact at the plate. He's not very physical. I mean, he definitely needs to get stronger. But, like, he's listed at 5'9", 158. He doesn't turn on pitches. He doesn't drive them with any authority. Like, it's kind of the classic knock the bat out of his hands. I mean, he, he draws walks in the minors by working deep counts. I don't think that's going to play in the big leagues. I just don't think anybody would respect the lack of power. I mean, he's... <laughs> I, he's an interesting guy, but he's a career 238 hitter with a career 287 slugging percentage in the minors, and that's not anywhere close to being able to hit in the big leagues. I I, I went 40 hit. I want 20 power. I mean, there, there's no power there, so you know, he's going to have to, like, there's a lot of guys in the system who are interesting, but they have flaws they're going to need to address, and he's going to have to get stronger. Hey, look, he's never going to have power, but he's got to be able to hit the ball you know, harder you know, to at least make teams respect him a little bit because I mean just I mean again, I I don't know, he's I can't imagine there are too many guys on any of our top thirty lists who have played even a hundred games in the minor leagues who have a career two eighty seven slugging percentage. And, and that's testament to how good his defense and his base running are. But like that's I mean that's a pretty fatal flaw. So if he you know, like I don't think he's ever gonna be He'll probably always be 20 power, but if you could get him to be, you know, I don't know, like an average hitter and maybe slightly above average on base ability and then not power, but like great defense, then you might have a big league. I mean, he probably, he probably will get a cup of coffee at least on the basis of his glove alone, but he's going to have to provide a lot more offense to have any kind of big league role for the long term.
0: Continuing on that trend of infielders, um, we've kind of talked briefly about the way the Marlins infield kind of aligns for 2023 and not even just the infield, the defense as a whole, where it seems like there's a lot of guys playing at a position, either learning new positions or they're kind of experimenting in a Philadelphia 2022 Phillies lightweight, albeit with a lot less offensive. Is this the
2: economical World Series team? Is that what you're saying? I, definitely, <laughs> I am not
0: espousing that. ascribing um, that onto them because – yeah, I mean, we could touch on that another day, but what, what what I'm trying to get at is, you know, obviously you have Joey Wendell, who by many metrics, uh, outs above average, defensive run save, was elite as both a second and a third baseman last year. I believe he was in the top 10 in DRS for third baseman, and you're kind of playing him at shortstop. I believe he's slated to be the primary shortstop, a position he has played before, obviously going back to his days in Tampa, where positional versatility is something that's very much preached. But, um, again, a guy who doesn't play that position on a regular basis. Um, and that makes me want to touch on a guy who you have just inside the top ten, I believe, at nine and Jacob Amaya, who they acquired from the Dodgers. Ironically enough, they lose their shortstop in Gavin Lux, so you'd like to think that they maybe want to have that trade back as you know some more depth. Um, do you see his path to the big leagues as a lot easier than most of these guys on the list? Obviously, we know Yuri is... Kind of almost a given, albeit his innings are going to have to be managed because he's never even crossed the eighty inning threshold in in actual games over the course of a season. But Amaya, um, in terms of him, do you think he's somebody that could have an immediate impact this year, especially given the year he had last year, um, split between a couple of levels in the Dodger system?
2: Yeah, I do. I mean, you know, I think from a defensive standpoint, he's like, to, like he's clearly to me the best shortstop they have in the upper levels of the organization right now. Yeah. He, it's interesting. He came back from the pandemic and he was stronger and he got a little home run crazy in the, in the Dodger system. Um, But, you know, got away. I mean, like in the past, he'd always been kind of a contact guy. He drew a lot of walks and and now he he chases a little bit more, but yeah, I I think, you know, if he came up he's going to have to like watch his approach a little bit, he might be like a fringy hitter with 15 home run power but he could play solid to plus defense. Um, and for team that the strength of the big league club is pitching, like like you were just alluding to, it's kind of interesting. Like, like the strength of big league clubs pitching, and you're kind of I don't know the, the defensive alignment seems to be a lot of wishful thinking. Um, the, you're hoping guys can handle positions or be better than they have been in the past. So we'll see. Um, but yeah, I think. Their, def- their their infield would be more stable if you had him if if you went ahead and put Amaya at shortstop and you put Wendell back at second base and Luis Arias who can really hit but isn't a really good defender you know maybe he and Garrett Cooper are like first base DH you know kind of timeshare your defense would be a lot better than the Arias Wendell double play combination seems a little bit optimistic to me, I guess is the best way to put it.
1: Yeah, and going um, from that, uh, I want to go ahead and talk about um, one of the prospects that's been in the system for a while, uh, almost going up the rankings almost every year. um, That's Victor Mesa Jr. We know the brothers, him, uh, Victor Victor. Victor Victor has not really been the player that the that, the Marlins have hoped for at all, but the younger brother, Victor Mesa Jr., 14th in your ranking. Um, How does he profile for the Marlins and maybe even comparing him to his brother and just how he's just kind of almost gone up the rankings almost every year?
2: Yeah, I mean, his brother, unfortunately, just but his brother can't hit. His brother's got no power, no impact at the plate, very good defender. His brother is kind of like the Nassim Nunez of outfielders, if that makes sense. But he's older, and so you have less – I guess, optimism that he's going to snap out of it and develop much. He, he just doesn't hit the ball hard, and there's, there's no impact there. His brother, Victor Jr., has more offensive upside. He's got one of the better swings. He's got some of the best basketball skills in the organization. You know, More of a corner guy. Well, I should take it back. He's got good instincts. He's not as good defensively as his brother, who's one of the better center fielders in the minors. But Victor Jr. is kind of an average runner with good instincts. He may, he may have a chance to stay in center high baseball IQ, um, might be more of a right fielder in the long run. You know, it's just he's always been really young for his leagues. He was 20 years old this year in high A, and so he hasn't really put up huge numbers. i kind of like to see him get a chance to catch his breath. I, I, I don't know what they're going to do with him this year. If it were me, I, my idea would be he's still just 21 years old. Let's we'll send him back to High A and let him tear it up, and then we'll promote to Double A once he gets going. But I do think he is one of the better pure hitters in the system, even if the numbers aren't loud. And I think a lot of it's just been because they believe enough in the bat that they've they've challenged him with some aggressive assignments.
1: Yeah, and I think now is the perfect time to go almost to the main event of what maybe most of everyone here was or people listening wanted us to talk about, and that is Mister Sixto Sanchez. <laughs> Um, you, have sure 11. you mentioned volatile you mentioned someone who could be number one a few years ago um, the injuries uh, just give us a, a little bit on Sixto and, and him falling to 11th for you
2: yeah I mean and again I mean you could argue he hasn't pitched since 2020 and he's coming after it's not Tommy John where you feel better about his shoulder surgeries he said you know shoulder surgery in 2021 he had another shoulder surgery in 2022 I mean, look, he could be anything. I mean, when we last saw him and he was healthy, he had like a 95, 97-mile-an-hour power sinker. He had a four-seamer They got the triple digits. He, you know, even with that, you know, some people tell you this changeup that just kind of tumbled at the plate was his best pitch. He showed some progress with the curveball. He just, you know, had a cutter that had its moments. He threw a ton of strikes. Now, I mean, the question besides his health always has been he doesn't you know, with all those pitches, you'd think he'd miss more bats. And it was more like he'd get ground ball contact than, than strike out, you know, 12 per nine. Like, you'd think he might do with that stuff. But that's quibbling. I mean, you know, he, he got plenty outs. He threw plenty of strikes. But, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, he lost well, – what's the story? He's lost 45 pounds. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, like, I would suggest that if he was 45 pounds overweight – it's not like he looks – He looks like he's in better shape for sure. He doesn't like – I wouldn't call him skinny right now, right? I mean, like, so if he was 45 pounds overweight, part of me would be like – makes me wonder about his dedication a little bit. That would concern me trying to come back from his shoulder injury. I I don't know. I mean, when we last saw him, he had great stuff. He was one of the best pitching prospects in baseball. And, you know, the last two years he's had two shoulder surgeries and hasn't pitched in a game. So, to me, he's more of a – A lottery ticket really right now than something you can bank on um and again i mean i i would bet if you ask anybody with the marlins nobody knows i mean you 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 hope you hope he can get back to what he was but like who knows i mean i don't i don't know what the track record is i don't think there's a lot of pitchers who missed two full seasons let alone had two shoulder surgeries out during that time who came back and were stars um Degraded, yeah, you get better stuff. Jim,
3: yeah, I, I looked into it a little bit, and and just what sticks out to me when you look at players that had that kind of absence is that even when they come back, even if they're effective, it's almost always as relievers, and that's kind of why I, I think acro- generally, or at Countless. least, uh, I, maybe maybe that's in that category. He's that's kind of repeated injuries. But I think that's why there's a little surprise that he's even still this high for you is just because. Usually on the other side of these injuries, even if they come back, it's just it's a different role
2: because yeah, yeah, I get that. You know, I and mean, I mean, honestly, if he's healthy this year and he's in the big leagues, I mean, they're going to have to manage his innings. So maybe they should use him out of the bullpen this year for sure, and then and see what they have going forward. I mean, he's one like I said, like I don't know if you guys do list like if you want to rank Sixto Sanchez thirtieth on your list on somebody's list. I don't know how you could argue with that. You could say, look, like, there's just so much risk with him. That said, I do think in this system, like, the, the, what we were talking about, the Marlins system isn't as deep as it once was. It's not like there's a collection of slam dunk everyday players and starting pitchers behind you. Um, like, to me, like, you know, I ranked him 11. Like, if I was saying, like, okay, how, how low is the lowest you could rank him? Like, I put a 45 on him. I mean, I guess you could tuck him behind the DSL contingent. Maybe you could put him at 19. Although, those guys are so far away. I mean, there's a ton of risk there, too. So, you know, Carson Milbrand's interesting. Um, but Sixto's healthy Sixto has a lot better stuff than Carson Milbrand. And I like Carson Milbrand. So, I don't know. I mean, again, that's one where I think if 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 if, if there was if we if there was a teacher and he was giving everybody a test, it's like where would you rank Sixto Sanchez on your Marlins top thirty? I don't know that there's really a wrong answer.
0: It almost reminds me of uh kind of like what's going on with Noah's song in the Phillies right now, albeit that's like a different kind of scenario in and of itself. You know, a guy but You was, know
2: what it's like? It's like Forced Whitley with the Astros.
0: I do the Astros. That's, it's like, that's it's a very thing. good comparison as well.
2: I like Forrest Whitley once ranked is like as good as any pitching prospect in baseball. I've lost track. of when the last time he pitched or how often he's been hurt. I, he, he pitched last Tommy year. He, John. Came
0: Tommy
2: John. he came back last year from Tommy John and pitched a little bit and didn't look great. Um, but same type of thing. Like you just, you you basically can put those guys wherever you want on lists and justify it because they're, you know, it's, you know, we're talking about Cleo Watson. who's not hurt, but it's the same type of thing. Like, there's huge ceiling there. Like like if it all comes together for Sixto Sanchez, he would be an all-star. But he's also hasn't pitched two years and you know, is it out of the round possibility he never pitches in the big leagues again if he has another setback? Sure. So like like who knows? Like it's <laughs> I, I'm not I'm not trying to dodge the court, but it's like some of these guys like Sixto and, and Khalil Watson, these super volatile guys, like just the wide range of outcomes from all star to never gets to big leagues or in Sixto's case, never gets to big leagues again. I mean, that's a huge, huge gamut there.
0: Yeah. And we even early reports on a spring training, despite the fact that Sixto lost, you know, I believe it was 46 pounds. It was almost like when CC Sabathia dropped a lot of weight in the earlier part of the 2010s for the Yankees and his fastball went from about 95 to about, you know, 91, 92. And he kind of had to reinvent himself, cutter, sinker, slider kind of guy. Um, that being said though, I think if you I mean if you were to assess this top 30 list and you know excluding Yuri Perez because we kind of just it's maybe just universally agreed upon here that he will contribute at some point whether that's out of the bullpen or making a spot start later in the season, if there was one person that you really had to bank on having an extended impact at the big league level in 2023 of the of the 30 or so players you have on that pipeline list, who would you feel most confident in um, putting your stock in? going into the season
2: yeah i mean there's a number of relievers you know like nick enright josh simpson and george soriano who i think we'll see in the big leagues at some point this year i think it goes back to guy we were just talking about a couple months ago i think it's jacob amaya i, I just think you know he, he's he, like i said he gets too aggressive to plate, but in my mind he's clearly their best defensive option in shortstop like clearly and i think they're gonna need that and you put him in shortstop, and put Wendell back at second. He's a huge upgrade over Luis Arias. That that makes your your you know up the middle infield defense significantly better. So I think it's Jacob Amaya, um, honestly. Um, but that that would be my pick for. I mean, I agree. Like Yuri Perez is kind of a guy all by himself, but if we take him out of the conversation, I think Jacob Amaya is the most important rookie in the Mar- on the Marlins this year.
1: Yeah. And speaking of rookies or at least future rookies, I don't want to get too far ahead, but um, now that we have you here, just the Marlins have the 10th pick in the draft coming up. And I know it's a very far time away. Uh, what can Marlins fans maybe expect in terms of the players available at number 10 and maybe guys that the Marlins um, could, could use there's Enrique Banfield. You have Johanny Morales right across the street and Coral Gables um, guy like Jacob Wilson, just what what kind of guys do the Marlins need to target in this draft with the 10th overall pick?
2: Well, I think the strength of this draft, especially in the top 10 or 15 picks, is college position players. And if you look at, all, like, most of the moves the Marlins have made this offseason, they've tried to acquire, or even going back to, like, middle of last season, and even the draft, too, they've tried to acquire hitters who could put the bat on the ball. Um, so I could see... I could see them, you know, Bradfield's interesting because there's some, like, fastest player in the draft and he can hit, there's some question about his power. But I could see, like, guys, like, I'm not saying that all these guys are on their short list, but I could see Enrique Bradfield from Vanderbilt. I see Grand Canyon shortstop Jacob Wilson, who is the best contact hitter in college baseball. He struck out, I think it was seven times in 275 at-bats last year. He's the son of Jack Wilson. Um, He's a really good player. Brayden Taylor from TCU is a third baseman. That would fill your third base hole. He can play third base, and he can really hit. There's a high school kid from Florida, Aiden Miller, who's also one of the better hitters on the high school side. Um, you know, Morales is more a power over hit guy, so that one would surprise me a little bit if they took Johanny Morales, even though he's right there in Miami. But like, if, if I had to bet, I mean, <laughs> that would be kind of a hard bet to make right here in February, um, this far ahead of the draft. But I would bet for one of those college backs. Like, I could see Jacob Wilson, Brayden Taylor being good fit. I could see Aiden Miller maybe being being good fits for them.
1: Yeah, and remember Jacob Wilson, you were able to see him early on this season um, with Grand Canyon, seeing him, Homer Bush. And and just really, really quickly, what what is it about maybe Jacob Wilson that maybe Marlins fans really should look at and maybe – him and his defensive and him being maybe the best, you mentioned contact hitter in all of baseball.
2: Yeah. He, he is definitely the best contact here in college baseball. He just, you know, I mean, and again, I mean, he seems like, an, I, I don't know if he'll be there. He might not even get to, to the Marlins, but like given the type of player they've tried to acquire, he fits that to a T like, and he's a son of a big leaguer. His dad, Jack was an all-star. His dad, his dad, dad's a coach on the team, assistant coach at Grand Canyon now too. And it's a cliche, but it's true. You know, Jacob grew up around the game. He's got a high baseball IQ. I think he's one of these guys who is going to have maybe even a little bit more power than people suspect. I bet it's the least average power. Yeah, maybe he even gets a little bit more than that because he can just really, really hit. And I think is he – I don't know if you guys have seen him. He can get stronger. He's kind of a lanky guy. Um, and as he matures physically, I, I think there's still some development there. I think he's got more power. He's probably an average shortstop. That, that would be the question is, you know, long-term. Like, I think he can play shortstop. He's got good to instincts. He's got solid arm strength. You know, it's probably average range, and ideally you probably want your big league shortstop to have more than average range. Um, so, like, I think he could play, even if we're projecting right now, he could play big league shortstop but probably a situation where you would want a better big league shortstop, if that makes sense. But I do think he hit enough to play third or second. Um, you know, he can't lead in one of those positions, I think, without a doubt, and I think he's really going to hit. So, yeah, I, he, he was fun. I saw him he, – he got hurt diving into the stands after a foul ball in the first game, but I think I saw, I don't know, six at-bats, and I saw four or five line drives, a couple triples. One of the triples was actually a home run. The umpires blew the call. Um but yeah, he, I mean, he'd be, you guys can remind me if I get that one right. Like, I don't know if he'd actually get to pick 10, but if he did, he's exactly the type of player the Marlins have been targeting for the last, you know, six months or so. Yeah.
3: Believe it or not, DJ Spillik, the Marlins amateur scouting director, he, he keeps up with some of our Fish Stripes content. So if you're listening to this, DJ, this is one guy to circle. Got a few months to make your decision, but <laughs> I, I have a good feeling that he is the kind of player that would be on their radar.
2: I said. I mean, it's the hitting ability. The other tools are fine. The, the The baseball cue is so high. He's just such a talented player. I mean, grant. I mean, I'm I'm not basing it just on seeing you know four line drives in two days or whatever it was, but um, like he just he can really really hit.
1: Yeah, and with that, Eli Lewis, do you have any final questions for for Mr. Callis before we head out this evening? Oh, we could
3: wrap it up here. Um, yeah, he's been more than generous with your time and your assessments, Jim. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Yeah, I know it's fun talking Marlins with you guys.
3: Yeah,
1: we'll make sure to have you back again. Our biggest, one of our biggest guests ever, Mister Jim Callis from M O B Pipeline. For myself, Daniel, Eli, Lewis, Jim. It's great to have you on, and always go fish.